Thank you guys. Um, this morning, I want to tiptoe around a subject that is difficult for me to preach on. Because I don't like talking about money. So some of you might see the, the, that on, on the screen and you might, you might think, mites? Is he talking about termites? How is that related to money? Because you've got to spend money to kill them. No, that's not what the sermon is about this morning. But I want to bring to your attention the essence of why we are speaking on this topic this morning. But before I begin, I'd like to invite you to pray with me as we go to God one more time. Father God, we ask that you continue to be with us. We ask that you, your spirit will open our hearts and our minds to hear you, to hear that still small voice. Lord, we know that you're not in the thunder or lightning or the earthquake or the hurricane, but you're there whispering to us, calling us to you. To yourself in speaking with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to, before you open your Bibles, I want to share with you a story. I have the privilege to have visited this monument a couple of times in my lifetime. If you do not recall or do not recognize what this is, this is Christ the Redeemer in the city of Rio. The interesting thing is that when you look at this image, it does not do it justice. Because wherever it is that you are, as long as you're in front of the statue, and you're overlooking the, the, the city. Now, if, you, if you've never been to Brazil, if you've never been to Rio, or if you've only seen images of it, you will notice that the city of Rio is located on the coast, in between mountains. It is one of the few cities in the world that has a natural rainforest, a beach, and mountains all within one geographical location. It's one of the most beautiful cities in terms of natural resources I've ever visited, I've ever been to. But going up to this statue, Christ the Redeemer, standing in front of it, you will notice that the, the head is inclined a little bit down. And if you are standing in front, it gives the impression that the statue is looking at you. The artist who sculpted this, this actually was a gift from France. They did it with the intentions before Rio was as ever as big as it was today. This is that the Christ the Redeemer with its hands out, out, outstretched, with its head inclined towards the city, would symbolize that God is always watching. That Jesus is always looking, that he's watching and overseeing what takes place in that location. And I remember growing up, my, my grandmother and my, my grandparents would always tell me, God is watching. Not in the same essence or, 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 or context as, as this, but mostly as a child when we were somewhat mischievous. 
God is watching. And, and, and that sometimes would scare me. If God is watching every little thing that I do, and he knows every little thing, well, man, what can I do to do things right? How can I get things right if he's always on top of me, right? There are texts in the Bible where we see that God clearly is watching. But I want to draw your attention to a few of them this this morning. Um, In Mark chapter 10, verse 14, it says, But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. I want you to notice that the next couple of verses that we're going to see, you, I have highlighted the word saw, that Jesus himself, looking and seeing, took action. Jesus, looking and seeing, he did something that drew attention not just to himself, but to the situation and or the circumstances. In this instance, he was preaching and and he was talking to the multitude, and the, and the disciples of all people were, and the adults were shying away, pre- preventing the kids to come to Jesus. And he says, no, 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 no. Let them come. For such. The word such here is emphasizing more so than ever, Children. It's for the kids. The kingdom of heaven are for the kids also. It belongs to them too. One of the reasons that we have uh, decided to implement Children's Church here at Naples, we will be taking, we'll be having Children's Church here in a couple of months. And again, this church will not look like what you see here. If you don't like kids, You're welcome to come, but just mind you, it's going to be for the kids. The worship service is going to be tailored for the kids, because why? It's all, the kingdom of heaven is also for them. It's not just for adults. It's not just for those who uh, support the church with their local funds. It is for everybody. The next text that we see in, in John chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus is talking to Mary. And he says to her, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. As an Air Force chaplain, I had the difficult assignment of being part of a notification of kin duty. Now, notification of kin means that you're going to go deliver some really bad news. And and that when you do, nothing prepares you for what you're going to see next. And I remember going up because there are three of us that usually go in, in the team. It is the 
the person who deceased his commander, then there is a medic, and then there is a chaplain. So it is always the unit, the, the individual's unit commander who delivers the news, never the medic and never the chaplain. But we're there for support. And I remember walking up to the house and knocking on the door. And the lady comes to the door, happens to be the airman's stepmother, but because she was not in the emergency contact numbers, we could not deliver her the news. He was deployed, and he had died overseas. And when we came to the door, and we are in our dress blues, and she sees him, then looks at me, and notices I have a cross on my uniform. And she groaned in her spirit. When she looked at us and said, what happened? Where is, what happened to my son? And the unit commanders responded, unfortunately, we have some bad news. Immediately, she curled up into a ball and began to groan in her spirit, per se. The word that is depicted here is that when Jesus saw the people there, and he saw Mary, the sister of his best friend, and saw that they were weeping, he groaned in his spirit where he curled up into a ball almost as his insides are turning and overturning in within themselves, which leads us to the following verse after this where it says, And Jesus wept. When Jesus sees, Jesus always responds. Another instance that we see this idea of Jesus seeing and responding, he says, when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. In Luke chapter 13, verse 12. This is a woman who had been sick for 18 years. This is not the woman who had the blood flow. This is a woman who was a hunchback, and she was curved curved over and bent over, and she could not get herself upright. And she walked like this. For 18 years, she could not find a, a doctor to cure her or to help her with her disease. And Jesus saw her, called her to himself. What is interesting about this, and we're going to see here in, the, in, in our next text, When he calls somebody to himself, it's not that he's calling them out in public, but he calls them from public to near. And he calls over and says, come here. Let me whisper something to you. You're free of your infirmity. He's not making a statement where everybody can see. And when we see that Jesus called, this, this idea of Jesus called people or her to himself, it's intimacy. It's, let me look you in the eye. Let, let me talk to you as an individual. Let me address you as you are. This morning, you might be one of these individuals. 
where you might be wondering, Jesus, are you, are, you, are you seeing what's happening to me at this moment? Are you seeing what's going on in my life? Are you seeing the things that are going on around me? Are you seeing the people that are attacking me? Are you seeing the infirmities I'm dealing with? And to all those questions, I would say, yes, Jesus sees you and knows exactly where you are. And Jesus responds. In these three instances that we have seen, Jesus responds by taking action. But in the next one is where I would like to draw your attention to. He doesn't necessarily take action to the individual he's addressing. But he takes action to the people around him. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. And before we get into the text, we kind of have to set the backdrop. Here we find Jesus arguing or having a debate with the Pharisees. They're talking about which is the greatest commandment. And Jesus responds, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. In all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There's there's a tug of war going going on between Jesus and the Pharisees. One One is pulling in the direction of legalism and Phariseeism, while the other one is pulling towards the answer to all of it, which is grace. He says, love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and your strength. If you look at the first four commandments, that's what it deals with. Our relationship with our Creator. Love your neighbor as yourself. Deals with the last six on a horizontal level. And so here he goes on and they have this debate. But notice what it says here in verse 41. It says, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and how the people put money in it. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw it in two mites, which which makes quadrants. One, two mites, Okay? Two mites equals an eighth of a penny. Which is equivalent to, in some commentators would say, six minutes worth of work of minimum wage at that time. It's not a lot. But this is what she threw in there. But I want to I call out this particular detail. He called the disciples, so, so he called the disciples to himself. Now notice that Jesus is in the temple. 
He's in the middle of everybody. He's having this argument and this discussion with the Pharisees. There are people around him. And so he looks at his disciples and says, guys, come here. Let me show you something. Let me share something with you that you will understand. He calls the disciples to share this specific truth because the Pharisees around him would not understand. When Jesus calls him you to himself, is because he wants to share something that is intimate and personal to you. Not to the entire congregation. It can benefit the entire congregation, as it could have benefited the entire people who were there with them, but this was for his disciples. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that the poor widow has put in more than all these who have given into the treasury. So when we look at this verse, within the context of all of that, again, we have, he calls the disciples to point out the fact that this woman has given everything that she has in comparison who's around them. Who... Who was Jesus arguing with? He was arguing with the people that were well off. The Bible says the rich would just throw money at the treasury. And the way that it is written here, it gives the context as if she was trying not to be noticed. She was trying to, she was embarrassed of her offering. Do not be embarrassed of what you can give to God. God doesn't see the amount or the value. He sees the effort you are making to accomplish His mission. God is calling us as individuals to give that which He has given us, not what He has not given us. Let me say that again. God is calling you and I to give what He has already given us, not asking what He has not given us. He's not going to ask you something that you don't have. He's not going to ask you to sacrifice something that does not belong to you. He's going to call you with the intentions of giving that which He has already blessed you with. The sacrifice will be for you to let it go. That's the difficult. That's the the hardest thing about this text is because the people that were throwing money, they could just throw money. Let me show you how much I give. Whereas the, this poor widow was trying to weave her way through the public so she would not be noticed, but Jesus saw her. We don't have these words literally written in the Bible, but he notices her, sees her, and draws one of the most beautiful lessons we have from the Bible. He calls his disciples to himself and he says, Listen, what she's given is much more than what those rich people did. For they all put in of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. 
There, what leads a person to give in that manner? I've had this conversation with my cousins. I can say this because they'll never understand this because they don't speak English. <laughs> my grandmother, and I've shared stories about my grandmother here already, how God provided her with food when she didn't have any more money left to buy food, and God miraculously provided for her. Towards the end of her life, she was a retired I'm not going to say old lady, but she was, she, she was just re, she was retired, and she had enough to get by. But one day I sat with her, and we were talking, and I said, hey, Grandma, I know that you're struggling. I mean, you have everything that you need. You have a house. You have food on the table. But I know it's not the luxurious stuff that you, you enjoy to eat, that, that we all enjoy to eat. You, can, you can't get that at will. You've got to plan for it. I said, why, why aren't you taking care of yourself at this stage in your life? And I, I will never forget her response. And she said, God has taken care of me all of my life. Why would I stop? Returning to God what is rightfully his in the first place. Amen. What she's talking about here is not just tithe. Because when we had that conversation, she's addressing tithe and then offering. Two different things, two different concepts. I'm not going to get into it today. But my cousins, they would tell, Art, tell them, tell her, why does she need to give the church the money? See, my cousins grew up Christian, SDA. But today they're no longer practiced. They call themselves Christian, but they don't live how they were taught. And unfortunately, they don't understand the concept of giving as it's portrayed in the Bible. And so they're asking me to convince my grandmother to say, hey, you're the pastor of the family. You married us all. Tell her, preach to her, teach her. She doesn't have to do this anymore. And I said, I can't. That is between her and God. That is her commitment. That is her vow. That is what she's promised. She's like, well, that's not fair. The church has got money. I'm like, listen, we're not going to get into this argument. The church has money or doesn't have money. That's not the issue here. The issue is her relationship with God comes first. What she does with the resources that she has, that's between her and God. So I, as I think to, to, to about her, the words that, that she expressed, there's a a text in the Spirit of Prophecy, Acts of the Apostles, it says this, Supreme love for God and unselfish love for one another. This is the best gift that our Heavenly Father can bestow. Now think about that. It's not what you bring here or you give at the offering plate. That's important. But supreme love for God and unselfish love for 
for one another. This is the best gift that our Heavenly Father can bestow. This love is not an impulse, but a divine principle, a permanent power. The unconsecrated heart cannot originate or produce it. You cannot fake your way through it. You cannot fake it and make it. Not with this. You can give. You can have nice clothes. You can have a nice car, a nice house. You, you, everybody can be sitting pretty here on, 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 on Sabbath morning. And everything can look great on the outside, but if supreme love of God is not reigning in the heart, you are rotten to the core. Because our, our benevolence are looked upon as filthy rags. And the filthy rags, in the context in which it's being described, it's dealing with woman's discharge. That's what it means. It's not pretty. It's n- but let me continue. Only in the heart of where Jesus reigns, is it found. Only in the heart where Jesus abides can you find true love for God and humanity. We love him because he first loved us, as the Bible says. In the heart renewed by divine grace, love is the ruling principle of action. It modifies the character and it governs the impulses. You see, when we love God, we surrender our will to Him. It's not me trying to curb my sinful impulses. It's not me trying to put a curb in it so I can be good, but it's God's love working in my heart that allows me to curb such sinful behaviors. It begins with love. And it ends with love. It also controls the passions and enables the nobles, the the affections. This love, cherished in the soul, sweetens the life and sheds a refining influence on all around. See, do you want to be You know, as we sing here, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That famous kids song that we grew up hearing, and even the non-Christian world has heard of that song. In order for us to let our light shine, love the love of God needs to permeate in our hearts first and foremost. And that comes from us spending quality time with Him. So when we talk about giving, because essentially when people look at the two mites, the story, that's what now you guys can understand. It's not, the, it's not the bug. But when we talk about the two mites, people emphasize, put the emphasis on the giving, but when in reality the emphasis that Jesus is drawing to is her attitude on how she gives, not how much. Jesus is more interested in you than than what you give. 
Because Jesus is more interested. Can you go back one, please? Uh, no, one more. There's a, there should be something on the screen. But there it is. Okay, it's not. Jesus is more interested in the widow. Okay? He's more interested in the widow, the widow of the mites, than he is interested in the mites of the widow. Jesus is more interested in, in, what, in who you are than he is on what you give. Because it's not about the two mites. It was about the attitude. And that's why when we look at Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor, my, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. See, it's, it's no wonder where the fruits of the Spirit is. The very first one is what? Love. Because you can't fake it and make it. Not with this. It's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. This morning, I might be talking to somebody here who might be struggling with their lack of substance. And that can be both physical or spiritual. But I want you to know that Jesus sees you. That Jesus sees everything, and he calls you to himself. He calls you to speak to you individually. But it's how you approach him that's going to define how he addresses you. If you come as a rich young ruler came, what do I need to do to be saved? Give everything that you have away. Now I'm jumping ahead because first he says, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and body. And you're neighbor as yourself. Well, I've been doing that since I was a kid. Well, then give everything away. Oh, no, I can't do that. It's the attitude and how we respond to Jesus calling us to himself that will define our sense of worth. You, when he calls you to himself, you will know. When he calls you to himself, he's going to take action. Let me just throw this out as well. Maybe you've been praying for Jesus to answer and you, he, and you have not seen an answer. Well, that is an answer. Because maybe he doesn't want to give you what you're asking for right, right away because it's not the best time. It's not the best for you. Wait. Wait because he will call you to himself. He will call you and he will open his heart to you. As long as we have the same approach as the widow. Humbly, but because it is God who has God's love who has motivated us to give, not the quantity or the visibility but how we approach ourselves, how we come to God, how we give of ourselves to Him. May God bless you as we continue.
to give of ourselves to the Lord in a humbly manner, which he sees all the time.